Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I hope, I hope you're excited to be here um, today. I'm gonna quickly begin uh, with just a, a short introduction to our sermon series. How many of you were here last week? Okay, many of you were here last week. We talked about fear and anxiety. We talked about how God is fully competent in running our lives and that he is good. And that is the foundation for addressing fear and anxiety that we all struggle with in our lives. So this entire series, we're talking about a series of questions that function like lampposts or signposts, excuse me, that direct us out of stagnation because no one wants to be stuck in their life. Right? Um, and towards these, these questions then lead us out of the stagnation, out of the stuckness, and lead us into um, the deeper presence and purposes of God for us as a community, for us as a church. God has plans for you. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, man, God has a plan for you. So if some of you, you've hit a wall today, or maybe this last week or maybe this month, and you seem like you can't get through and you feel like you're breaking down in the words of one author as opposed to breaking through, this is a question, a few questions that I have for you today that will help lead you out of that. Uh, maybe some of you today, you're experiencing a wilderness. Maybe uh, what uh, St. John of the Cross said, the dark night of the soul, and you feel like you're stuck. Again, no one wants to be stuck in a bad season. You wanna get out of it. How do, how do we move forward into the purposes of God? Again, there are questions that we will be asking that will lead us towards um, Jesus here today. Yet for, for others of us, maybe today, uh, you're maybe not going through a hard season, maybe a difficult season, and you wanna move deeper into the purposes of God and everything feels slow. Anyone like that here today? You just say, well, more of God, and God, you've been spoke, speaking to me about this, this certain thing in my life, or what you wanna do in the church, and it just feels like, God, it's just, it's taking a long time. Again, this, this series over the next few weeks, um, again, is for you. And then there's some of us who are trying to break sin patterns, unhealthy ways of thinking, profound addictions. And um, God, I believe, has big purposes for you to get you unstuck and to move you into uh, this grand adventure of following Jesus for the sake of the world. We are here today to build for the kingdom of God. And we believe that Jesus has the victory over sin, death, hell, fear, anxiety, your mess, your stuff, your issues in the name of Jesus. So here's the thing. We all need to grow. All of us in some aspect of our character, we're stuck. And so we need this. So the three questions that I'm going to ask today is, do you know who Jesus is? Do you trust that Jesus and what he has done for you is enough. Do you trust that Jesus is enough for you? And my final question is, where are you hiding from God? Where are you hiding from God? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace here today. I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, come, speak to your people. Lord, we love you, we bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. All right, so you gotta think about this question right now. 
is that one person in this room that's not hiding from God. I want you to, I want you, I want this to sink deep down into the insides of your inside today. I want you to reflect on this question. I want you to contemplate, not just today, but this week as, as we move towards answering and thinking through some of these questions. Everyone in this room is hiding from God in some aspect or area of their life. So the question is, are you open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do to set you free so that you can be the person transformed into the image of Jesus? In a documentary I just recently was told about, You Are What You Eat, maybe you've seen it. There's a segment featured two sisters who are assigned to cook a meal using chicken and various ingredients. Any cooks out there? Any chefs? Okay, no? (coughs) Wow, hard crowd. Unknown. That's a cue, even if you're not a chef, to say, yeah, uh, yeah, me, you know? Help the preacher out. Um, Unknown to them, the chicken in this documentary contained high levels of salmonella. and they so, but they were told to take precautions like wearing gloves and meticulously they took pre, um, um, precautions like doing different things and prepare, as they prepared the food. However, before they served um, the dishes, the producers revealed, thank God, they revealed it was a test. And uh, what they showed them is that the chicken was actually inedible due to the bacteria, salmonella. And then they took a black light to show the widespread presence of the bacteria in the kitchen. And so the black light showed all the bacteria which had spread everywhere despite their careful handling. So what I want to talk about, which is interesting, the point here is that there were hidden dimensions to the cooking experience. There are also um, hidden aspects of our life that we do not acknowledge. In essence, please hear me. Don't give me that religious look. Don't think about your wife right now. and Don't think of George, you know. Think about yourself. In essence, we are all Hiders. Huh? We like to hide from ourselves. We like to hide from reality. We like to hide from God. In fact, every person that exists here today, of course you exist. I don't even know why I phrased it that way. But every person that exists in the world, they have submerged continents, not just of salmonella, thank God, or sushi, but of pride, hostility, ego, sorrow, pain, hatred, grief, self-loathing, especially if you're a 49er fan, sorry, okay. The rest of us are exempt from that, no? See, the problem, and here's the thing, the problem with the modern Western culture is that we have learned or we've been schooled to hide ourselves from all the negative stuff that lies beneath the surface. So we hide from our emotions, we hide from ourselves. And I'm not, I, I'm not your psychologist here today, I'm your pastor. But we hide ultimately from God. We hide from his presence. We hide behind good things. And we live in fear. So why do we get stuck in life? Why do we lack maturity? Why can't we move deeper, as we talked about, into the purposes of God? What, I, what I'm not suggesting here today is let's, this week let's practice like Christian navel gazing and let's just focus on ourselves and let's try to fix ourselves. Here's the thing. You cannot fix yourself. Person, George, John, Sally, Jude, Judah, whatever your name is. You cannot fix yourself. 
Only God can fix you. So what I'm not advocating for, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this here pretty soon, is that we have the responsibility to like look inside ourselves, try to figure ourselves out, and then maybe bring that to God. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am suggesting is that we have an inherent proclivity to refuse to bring all of ourselves, the good, the bad, the ugly, to Jesus who can forgive and heal us of all of our sin and all of our pain and all of our grief. It is Jesus who wants to transform your life. And here's the thing. Jesus assumes that the human heart, guys, is a spiritual disaster. What? He assumes people in the Sermon on the Mount will want to divorce. Don't look at your spouse right now, okay? He assumes that people will lie and manipulate, that we will hate our enemies, that people will lust and they will seize upon beauty for one's own benefit. Jesus assumes that we will be worried and anxious, that many will build their life around resentment, that we'll love money more than God, that we'll chase safety more than hard, that we will take pride in our accomplishments, and we would even use prayer and fasting as a means of performance. Jesus assumes that sorrow and grief and, and deep and profound pain exist in the vast depths of the human heart. We've said this so many times, and it's a book that was written, but your body keeps the score. Your body has a memory, and it writes an emotional script many times, which contradicts the word of promise over your life. And so when a preacher gets up and says, God loves you, and you're going to make it, and deep down inside, you resist it. You want to believe it, and you kind of believe it in your head, but in your soul, you resist it. What is that? Well, you believe what your body is telling you. You believe what your memories are telling you. You're, you believe what this emotional script that is based on a bad experience from your past is telling you. And so many times we come into church and we want to believe, and we're like that father with his son who screams to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. So how do we move out of that? How do we move out of fear? How do we move into um, the purposes of God? Well, um, we have to acknowledge who we are. My dad is funny. Um, he often would tell me, Chris, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I married your mom. And then he goes, and then we had you. And he says, don't take offense of this, Chris. But in 30 years, I've never seen a worse kid in my life. Thanks, Dad. My mom often would tell me, Mom, is this true, that uh, she would pray for me every night because she thought I was going to juvie, you know? I, it was awful. But, you know, I'm a man of God now. To God be the glory, you know? God's so good. All the false prophets. But my dad, he said, hey, Chris, when you were born, I, I thought, you know, I got the selfish thing. I got, I got rid of it. And then you were born and I realized how deep and self-centered or how deep that selfishness and how self-centered I was. It's funny, um, this is how good God is, guys. Listen to me, I've said this before, but just bear with me. Are you guys with me? Yes. Um, God is so good, he will not tell you how wicked and bad you are all at the same time. In fact, in his goodness, he slow drips 
the revelation of the depths of your heart and how there is hostility and there is resentment and yes, there's even sorrow and grief. It is a muddled mess deep down inside of us. And why are we talking about this? Well, we have been schooled or we've been told our entire lives that all you have to do if you wanna enter into human flourishing is you just gotta get in touch with your inner self. Just do you is our cultural anthem. And if you just do you, you'll be fine, right? So this is the culture of authenticity. And the premise behind this is if you are authentic to the goodness inside the hidden dimensions of your heart, you will realize that goodness. I have realized over 47 years of my life, especially the last 25 years of my life, the more I get in touch with myself, the more I do not like what I see. Okay, so this is gonna sound weird. I used to preach this a lot when I was a young man. Just go with, go with me. I think we need to contradict the culture of authenticity with the culture of inauthenticity. What do I mean by that? I think sometimes we need to be inauthentic to our true hidden self. The hidden self outside of Jesus. And even in Jesus, there needs to be some sanctification. But outside the help of Jesus and his grace in our life, we are afraid, we are manipulative, we are self-centered, we are vulnerable narcissists, we just think about ourselves and we use our performance record as a way to disguise that we are really wicked down inside and messed up and some of you are giving me a weird glare and it's freaking me out, you know? The devil's a liar, right? Here's the thing. God is so good that he will slow drip the hidden dimensions of your heart. And it's important that as we learn to follow Jesus, that we choose in, in, in this paradoxical way of really being authentic in the Jesus way or Jesus style, we have to start by being inauthentic. We have to bring the ugly parts of us, aspects of the hidden dimensions of the vastness of our heart to God so that he can heal and he can forgive. You see, and again, this is, and some of you, you still don't believe me. I can see it in your eyes. Nah, I'm pretty good, Chris. And here's the thing, it's, it's funny, you probably thought that thought, and it's, my response to that is, you're hiding from the fact that you're hiding. Chris, you're, you know, you know you're talking about someone else. No, 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 stop it. Homie, don't play that. Jesus doesn't play that. We, we have profound hidden dimensions of our heart that we must bring to God if we wanna move into the deep purposes of Jesus this year. How many wanna move into the deep purposes of God this year? That's, that's, and that is the desire and that is the heart of God for us. You see, there's an expert, he, he, he kind of lined this out for us, gave us kind of a taxonomy of sin. I'm calling it a hierarchy of sin. And this is where a lot of people are confused. And so just go with me uh, with this. Number one, many people think that the reason why they're good with God and you don't need to hear a message about this, about the hidden dimensions of their heart is because we just assume sin is in the top category of scandal. Well, you're like, you're telling yourself, well, I didn't ax murder or shoot someone this week. I didn't do cocaine. I, I, didn't, I wasn't um, unfaithful to my wife or my husband or whatever. And we're like, well, I'm good, you know? And many people get confused because we, just, we, we define sin as just moral scandal. And of course, 
sin involves moral scandal, but there's, there's, there's a depth to sin that we need to acknowledge. Number two, the reason why we get confused when we talk about sin or uh, just hit the hidden dimensions of our life is that we just have normalized sin. We gossip because everyone else gossips. We watch the shows that everybody else watches that essentially is soft porn and we're objectifying bodies and we're telling ourselves, well, my, my, my friends do it. And, and we, we live with low-grade resentment and we live with um, a lot of different hostility in our hearts and it comes out when you get on Facebook or when you get on your social media platform. And again, I've been saying this for about 15 years. Christian, shut up. If you can't say anything that's full of life and full of Jesus, I'm not saying you can't challenge assumptions, but we need to do everything in a spirit of love. Speak the truth, but speak it in love, baby. But number three, again, um, here's the thing. This is when it gets real. Sin is an embodied response. So how do you know who you really are? You don't know who you really are in the good times. You know who you are in the bad times. So if, if you're not sleeping and you're utterly exhausted and vulnerable and your boss is hating on you and you come home and uh, you're absolutely wiped out and your wife comes to you and hands the seven, your seven kids and you say, you take them, I'm done. And then your response in that moment tells you, and I don't know who I'm speaking to today about that, you know, <laughs> don't know. Your response in that moment tells us about you. You see, we all have these, well, I don't know, uh, neurobiological responses through habituation in life it, it, that, that have embedded sin in our bodies. And when you're tired and when you're exhausted, it comes out. That is who we are. And I think we all can, okay, okay, Chris, some of you are like, okay, I, I, think, I, can, I think I understand that. Yeah. But number four, it's the deepest level of sin that we must acknowledge here today. And it's trust structures. Someone called it emotional programs for happiness that we construct outside of God. Trust structures are good things, success or achievement or even good works or my prayer time or I fasted for three years. I don't know if you can even do that, you know, or I, you know, I did this for God. These are, these are trust structures, emotional clinging of our heart that that um, go against and contradict um, our allegiance to Jesus. In other words, they're cheap substitutes that we implicitly within our subconscious rely on more than we do God. In fact, I've said this so many times before, but sin is a complex ecosystem of beliefs and habits and patterns that are rooted in alienation from God. It's when we choose to take something that is good and we put it on the level or the status as God and we allow success or our performance or our looks or our achievement or our desire for fame to replace God. That is when we engage in alienation, which is, which is the foundation of sin itself. And let me tell you something really quick. Success is great and achievement is great, but it can never do what you want it to do. It can never carry your longings and the desires of your heart. God is God, and God wants to carry you, and God wants to save you, and God wants to heal you, and God wants to fill you with his spirit, and God wants to do a life-changing work in your heart. 
Success in the short run can give you a nice little happy bump, but in the end, if it is your God, it will will lead to ruination. And I'm gonna try to talk, right? It will lead you away from flourishing and and life more abundantly found in Jesus. So Luke chapter seven, we have a fascinating story and uh, I'm going to get to our passages that we read here today. Uh, we have a, a woman who has been forgiven of her sin. She's called a, the, the sinner who has been forgiven of her sin. Jesus has come to a, a home of, of a Pharisee named Simon. This woman comes in and starts to wash the feet of Jesus. Scandal in the purity world of Jesus. Everyone in the room, excuse me, knows that this woman is a sinner. And she's washing the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is not doing anything. You know what I love about Jesus? You can never put him in a box, people. He shatters every misconception, every theological category that we try to place him in. And so Jesus is sitting there and letting this, this woman wash his feet. And Simon says, man, if this, if this guy was a prophet, he would know. He would know. And yet Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus knows who this woman is. And I want to come to verse 41, and then Jesus, in response to this whole setting, Luke does a masterful job of telling this this beautiful story. It's a story of reversal. And verse 41, Jesus said to Simon, hey, um, I'm going after you. And he says this, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Verse 42, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, I love this, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. What is going on here in this masterful story? Is Jesus creating a distinction between those who have great sins and those who have little sins? And if you have a little bit amount of sin, because you're pretty much perfect, you know, you know, you've never been a Dallas Cowboy fan. You've done great things in your life. Your performance record is just like, God's like, wow. And because of that, you love little. But those who are really messed up in life, when they're really forgiven by God, their love for him is great. No, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching that when you know the hidden dimensions of your heart, when you know that you are a sinner, 
in a fundamental way, when you know that you are messed up and broken and you cannot carry your way through life, when you know you are hopeless, but by the grace of God, you are rescued, when you know that you are muddled in your heart and you always go against, you are pulled away from the good purposes of God, when you really know who you are, you will love much. But when you don't know it, you come into a church service and you're like, why are people raising their hands? What? Why, do, why does a preacher always tell me I gotta read my Bible as a response to God's love? Why, why, what, 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 what? What is this all about? You see, the problem, and I think 2020 opened, it, opened us up to a whole new world of evil. When you realize the evil lurking in your heart, and then you match that up with the goodness of God and his forgiveness and his love for you, something changes in your heart and in your mind. Guys, you live different. You live different. And see, I, I think what happens is when you realize, as this woman realized that she was forgiven and that Jesus forgave her and dealt with her sin, as Jesus said, I forgave you, there was a fresh new power that was released in her life. There was a love that was formed in her heart. Simon, here we have, a, this is a parable of judgment against Simon. Simon did not acknowledge the depths of his own heart and the lack of relationship that, we had, that he had with Jesus, and he suffers from it. My question again for us today is, where are you hiding from God? And that's where we come to Genesis chapter three in verse eight. Adam and Eve have, have sinned. Are you guys still with me? And they hear the sound of God walking in the midst of the garden. God's not frantic. He knows what Adam and Eve has done. Am I screaming too much here this morning? Okay. Louder. louder. Hey. What was that? God does not come as a storm theophany. He comes in grace. He's walking, not frenetic. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not bellowing. He comes to Adam and Eve in their sin and in their fear and in their despondency. And he asks the question, where are you? In verse 10 Adam responds, I, I heard you in the sound, I heard your sound in the garden walking and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, God is inviting them not into, not into judgment or contempt or condemnation. He's inviting them into confession. He's calling them out from behind the trees. He's calling them out of their fear and their nakedness and their shame and their sin and their pain because God, this is the drama of the redemptive story in the Bible. God wants to save and heal us from ourselves. You see, um, we are all hiding. Freud was pretty much wrong in the words of one expert about everything, but he was right in that whatever we refuse to acknowledge grows in power. 
We say this often. This was like our anthem last year. Bad things grow in the dark. I remember 2016. It felt like 4,000 years ago, you know, and uh, it was snow apocalypse. We had so, so much snow. I forgot to take, we had a really nice wooden bench. I forgot to take it inside for the winter. And so springtime uh, hit. Everything was in thaw. And I was really excited to go and, and try to maybe refurbish because I'm such a man and so Idahoan. And I, no, I wasn't trying to refurbish anything, guys. I was hoping. <laughs> um, some of you got the joke. Uh, I was hoping that we would be able to preserve this wooden bench. And so it was, it was tipped um, on its side or it was upside down. And I turned it over. And I'm not even joking. There were things I, that were scurrying that I didn't even know existed. Uh, there were big fuzzy things. Something was radioactive in the soil. I don't know. But great and mighty creatures like just scurried everywhere. See, here's the thing. Bad things grow in the dark. And I'm convinced when we first deny that we're hiding from God, or second, we refuse to bring not just some of ourselves, but all of ourselves to the king who can bring healing in our lives, we can never move forward into the purposes of God. And we will stay stuck in that season. We'll stay, we'll stay stuck in that valley. We will stay stuck in that immaturity. We will stay stuck in that sin pattern. And yet, guys, God has so much more in store for every single person here today. Amen. So, as I close here in uh, 50 minutes, kidding. Here's the thing, this, what I'm about to say is the most important question. We can't, we can't talk about hiding from God and acknowledging our sin and our fear and our, our pain and all of that if we first don't answer this question. This is the most important question that we are implicitly reminding ourselves every single Sunday. If you're in the back row, we are talking about this. If we're in the front row, we're talking about this. If this is your first Sunday, we're always talking about this. If this is your 30, 33rd Sunday, we are talking about this. This question that we have to answer is more important than who you marry, and that's really important. It's more important than um, running for office or figuring out what you're supposed to do in life, and all of those things are really important. The question is, which Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 is, who is Jesus to you? Who's Jesus to you? Jesus asked this question first to his disciples, and he says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, guys, guys, look at me. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So I'm going to speak to our cultural moment right now. Can, can, I, can I just speak to our culture right now? Because there's people in our culture that say that Jesus is just a nice wisdom teacher, right? Or, or others that maybe, maybe more academic will say, ah, he's a wandering Gnostic philosopher. I've heard this before that Jesus is anti-colonialism. Uh, he's against Im Im empire or he's against um, imperialism. Uh, Jesus most likely is a vegan. In other words, he's probably a Californian, you know? <laughs> in our culture... I know that's funny, and we could, we, or maybe a New Yorker or whatever, right? We, here's the problem. We construct Jesus in our own image. 
And so there are, there are people in our culture right now that will say Jesus is a religious genius or he's a teacher of, warm, of, of homespun religion. Uh, it's funny, older Jesus movies kind of diminish the humanity of Jesus. Jesus kind of floats and he speaks in breathy terms. And it makes me feel really uncomfortable. I don't think Jesus is anything like that. You know what I mean? Right? And yet, so we have so many caricatures of who Jesus is is and our culture is confused about God and unfortunately there are a lot of people in the church that also have probably a semi caricatured view of God as well you see the gospels offer a startling portrait of Jesus Jesus yes was a miracle worker can I get an amen yes Jesus was a remarkable teacher yes Jesus I love about him had dinner with tax collectors and all the undesirables and all those former pagan eagle fans he met with all those people Jesus was not afraid of mixing it up even in the purity world of Jesus where there was a sharp distinction between the clean and the unclean and if you mix it up with the unclean that you became unclean Jesus reverses the whole purity world and goes and meets the unclean people where they are at. And rather than becoming unclean, he transfers his cleanness to them. In fact, I think Jesus is actually absorbing the uncleanness of the people. He's taking the sickness. He's taking the bodily infirmities. He's taking the mental health stuff. He's taking the sin and even all the, the toxic stuff into his body in his ministry. And he's releasing favor and grace and healing and blessing. And this is what's so shocking about Jesus he had remarkable authority and I need to speak to our generation Jesus yes he not only dined with tax collectors yes he met with people in their social context and yes Jesus brought justice to the world but you have to hear me today Jesus forgave the sins of the people he ran around healing the sick he would walk on water Jesus even spoke to a Mediterranean storm and said, peace, be still. Jesus is unique, guys. Jesus' message was astoundingly, in the words of one author, self-referential. He talked about the kingdom of God being launched through him. He said, if you've heard it said, but I say to you, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking his word and placing it on the same level as the Torah. Jesus, in other words, is claiming to find status. He's call, he calls people to abandon everything <coughs> to follow him as I pass out and cough, okay? Jesus claims that he's the embodiment of truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 16, he has this conversation with his disciples, and he says, guys, I am the embodiment, the living embodiment of your father. You see, Jesus is not just a religious genius. Jesus is not just simply a teacher. He has to be more than a teacher, or he has to be, in the words of C.S. Lewis, someone who thinks they're a poached egg. He's either crazy or he is the son of God. He's not just your homeboy. He's not just a therapeutic genius. He's not just a good guy that's going to get you through some really hard days, really rough days. He's not just like a semi-demagogue that's kind of there, kind of saves you, kind of helps you. No, Jesus either is who he says he is or he's crazy. And as I mentioned before, Jesus broke through every category, every theological box that people had of him. 
And we come to Peter's response in Matthew chapter 16, and he cries out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, because of this revelation, Peter, that my father has given you, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. You know what, I think, I think what the church needs today, and I think what God's gonna do in 2024, he's gonna give us a fresh understanding of who Jesus is, not just in the abstract, not just in our minds, not just with what we kind of read about and hear about, but I think many of us, God's gonna move us into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, not on the outside, but who Jesus is to us. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, he's the anointed king, ruler over all things. He is in charge, and we say this all the time. He is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's in charge over space and time, baby. I don't even know why I'm saying that word, but I just gotta get your attention. Right, he, he, he's, he rules all things. He's over all things, and he is the savior of the world. And it's this, this deep revelation that Peter received that Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why is understanding who Jesus is the most important thing? Because to be a Christian is to deal with truth. And the truth is, you and I are not in charge. The truth is, we can't save ourselves. The truth is, Biden or Trump ain't gonna help us. I offended every Democrat and every Republican in this room. And I'm not saying you can't vote. I, and I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. What I am saying, they are not on the same level as my Savior and my Lord. I'm, hey, I'm not against politics. You understand what I'm saying? I think we need to speak to social issues, and we do that a lot. But what I'm trying to say is, man, 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 man. Men are men. Jesus, yes, is fully man, but he's also fully God. And he is the one that's gonna save us. He's the one that's gonna make all things new. He's the one that's gonna transform us. And if you want fresh authority this year in your life, if the church is gonna conquer the gates of hell, we gotta remind ourselves who Jesus is. We can't be complacent with that. We can't just be nonchalant with that question. We can't just like, oh, uh, play, <laughs> where these thoughts are coming from, loosey-goosey. Is, is that bad? Is that good? I don't know, let's move on. With this truth, we we, man, we gotta get that truth in the inside of our insidest part of our being. And that is where the authority of Jesus is. You see, his disciples doubted him, but they came to believe that Jesus was the king, that he was the savior of the world. The New Testament declares that Jesus is cosmically singular. He's not merely one option um, on a religious smorgasbord of religious leaders. Jesus is greater than Muhammad. Jesus is greater than Thomas Jefferson. Jesus is greater than the Buddha. Jesus is greater than New Eastern mysticism. Jesus is greater than Wicca. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He is the son of God who gave himself to us. Okay, 
Last question. Do you believe that Jesus and what he's done for you, do you guys please, do you really believe? Do you believe that Jesus died on your behalf so that you could have life, life more abundantly? Do you believe that on Sunday? Do you believe that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Do you believe that in the good seasons and the bad seasons? Do you believe that in the valleys? Do you believe that on the mountain summits? Do you believe that when your team is winning or when your team is losing? Do you believe that when you get good barbecue or you don't get good barbecue? Do you believe that when the sun is shining and when it's not? Do you believe that even when your mood and your circumstances are screaming the opposite? Do you believe that even when you're in pain and sorrow and grief? Do you believe that what Jesus has accomplished for you is enough? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have the life of the age to come. Galatians 2.20 says that I am now, Paul says, I am crucified to Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. I now live by his faithfulness who loved me and gave himself for me. Deuteronomy chapter seven, again, as advanced typological sign of the love of the Father and what Jesus would accomplish for us, says that God did not set his love upon you because you were greater and because you had a performance record that wowed God. No, God set his love upon you because he loved you and that he chose you out of a group to reflect the goodness of God into the world. You see, John 3.16 invites us into this entire drama of creation. I love the Gospel of John. Everything from planets, in the words of one scholar, mountains in the far reaches of cosmic space, to the tiniest creatures, to the sick child, to the grieving person, to the, the, the embattled and arrogant power broker. The Creator God is shown through Jesus, who made all things that they are all loved by God. And in fact, Jesus not only loved this world from a distance, he loved them so much he went to the cross and died for them. One author said this, I believe the whole Bible, even the weird parts, especially the weird parts, like if you, if you can really believe that God loves sinners, why not believe that a man on water can walk? A man walking on water is nothing if you believe that God loves sinners. That's the story of Christianity. See, every other religion will tell you, and this is, I'm speaking to our culture right now. Every other religion said, okay, you gotta do this. There's a hierarchy. You gotta climb and ascend into the heavens to get God's attention. Christianity works the opposite way. No, Jesus climbs down, enters into the muddledness of our mess, into the complicated disaster of our human heart when we don't deserve anything. And he didn't just do that one time in history. He does that over and over and over and over and over and over again. The reason why we pray is because God has climbed down into the mess and has put that desire in your heart. The reason why we do what we do is a response to God's astonishing, overwhelming, breathtaking, far incomprehensible love. God loves us. And the evening before Jesus was crucified, 
He didn't offer a sermon to his disciples. He offered a meal. He said, hey, take this bread and take this cup of wine. This represents what I'm going to do on your behalf. Jesus told his disciples on the way to Jerusalem that I'm like a mother hen, guys. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? I'm like a mother hen and I want to cover you. And I want to cover this world in my protective presence as the barnyard like fire rages, Jesus is saying, I am like that hen that will cover and protect the people. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross through his grace and through his love. Jesus willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for us. His life on the cross would be for our forgiveness. His death would be for our life. His suffering would be for our sorrow and sickness and our anxiety and our pain. And I've said this so many times before, but this is what I love about water filters. Water filters are designed to hold on to the contaminants and the pollutants in the water. And if you have a good water filter, check it out, okay? But if you have a good water filter, it holds on to the pollutants and it only releases fresh water, blessing, and life. You see, Jesus went to the cross. He absorbed the shame and the darkness and the evil and the trauma and the pain and the sin of the world into his own body because God loves the world. And then through his resurrection, he releases life and blessing onto us. So if we are in Christ today, we have life, we have forgiveness, we have new creation, we are filled with the Spirit, we have now been filled with fresh purpose, we are welcomed in the family of God, we have defeated what Shane calls the APA, the apocalyptic power alliance of sin, death, and Satan. We are not, we are not defeated, but we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Jesus, not Apple TV, not modern enlightenment, not all the things that we use, wonderful things that we use to fix our lives, but Jesus is the one that changed the world forever. Is Jesus enough for you? Is that enough? Do you believe that? Do you believe that today God comes to you not because you have done everything right, but that Jesus comes to you, even if you've been in the church a long time, he always comes to you in grace, in love, inviting confession, bringing healing to your heart. I close here. I just got one more minute, two more minutes, and then we'll end. You guys still with me? I, I'm in a conversation with my two older boys, Quincy and Weston. I love my sons of thunder. You know, they're just lots of thunder, but then there's lots of wisdom and grace on their life. I love them. We've been in this conversation, they're almost 13 years old. And so we've been talking about the love of God. And, I, and, and this is what my wife and I, we teach them, guys, you know, mom and I, we love you. This is what I tell my sons. You know, we're proud of you. Um, but I also want you to know that you must in this next season, as you, before you turn 13, and even as you go into your teenage years, you need to be convinced of who Jesus is and his love for you. You can't just know it abstractly. You can't just kind of sort of believe it. Uh, you can't just live off of mom and I's experience with the love of God. You have to know in your bones that God loves you. And here's the thing, the, if, if we don't know that God loves us, and this is what I tell my sons, this is the reason why you will see later on people in your generation get involved in bad 
relationships, they'll start to find their worth and dignity in other things and success in sports and things that can never substitute for God's love. The reason why you must be convinced of God's love and you need to know who Jesus is because if you are not convinced of that, you will find other things to take the place of God and you will find your worth and dignity that will lead you down the road into ruination. The love of God is not the ABCs of Christianity in the words of one expert. It is the A to Z of the Christian story. So do you know who Jesus is? Do you know or do you believe or do you trust that what Jesus has done for you is enough? And the question that I want you to ask yourself this week is, where am I hiding from God? And everyone said, amen. I practice this week, I'm gonna pray for us. Our practice is, and I wanna put it up on the screen behind me. Many times when we come to reading our Bible, we, we think we just, we're reading it for information and that's great. We should read it for information. We should study our Bibles, we should memorize it. But this week, I want you to practice um, reading your Bible a little bit different. I want you a different perspective. I want the Bible to read you. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of this message, um, there's a tendency to, um, when we have a message like this and we're talking about, oh, we're hiding from God and we got stuff that we, we need to open up to God and we need to be healed, all that kind of stuff. There's a tendency where we think we gotta fix ourselves. There's a tendency where we try to like, again, as I mentioned, Christian navel gaze. We try to look inside of ourselves and then we try to like, oh, okay, what's going wrong with me? That's not the perspective I want you to have. We're, we're, we can't fix ourselves. Can I get any man to that? So what I want you to do is I want you to believe that only God can fix you. I want you to take 20 to 30 minutes this week and I want you to read these passages of scripture, Psalm 19, Psalm 139, John 15, Hebrews 4. And I want you to open yourself up to Jesus reading you. Could be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're reading your Bible and your God just fills you with his love. And he does a deep work and it fills you with a fresh sense of purpose. Maybe on Thursday, maybe God begins to bring something up. Hey, hey, you need to deal with this, this sense of performance. You're putting too much into your performance. I, I, that's good, but, but I want you to come back to me. Maybe Jesus will come and deal with maybe some trust structures that we have, some good things that we are emotionally clinging to and that God wants to deconstruct that and then lead us back to his presence. That's what I want us to do this week. I don't want us to Christian navel gaze. I want us to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and let Jesus read us this week as we read this. Could you imagine 2,000 people doing this collectively together? reading these passages, opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, letting him fill us, right? It is in the presence of God with the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, man, goes to work in us. And I'm believing that this week, God is gonna do a powerful work in you. We need, we need a church that is healed so we can heal the world. We need a church that's really transformed so we can partner with the Holy Spirit to bring about the transformation of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. We're going deeper. We're getting unstuck. God has great things for you. Come on, 2024, it's gonna be amazing. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your presence. With every eye closed, you would say today, Chris, I need Jesus to rescue me. I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but I wanna trust him.
Or maybe sometime in the past, you've, you made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe in a service like this, maybe your home or whatever, but you're just not walking with God. Here's the thing, you can't save yourself. And you know right now, you just know in your heart that your success or your life isn't gonna carry you. And you realize you need the God revealed in Jesus who can bring forgiveness, who can bring hope and healing to your heart. And you wanna open your life up to him. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross for us. Man, that Jesus rescued us. And today, that promise of forgiveness and new newness of life, fresh purpose, is available to anyone who wants it. And with your eyes closed, you would say, Chris, I want to make a decision or I want to renew my commitment to follow Jesus today. Could you pray with me? If that's you on the count of three, I would like you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Anyone like that, go to raise your hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. See those hands, I see those hands all over the place. See those hands, see those hands. See those hands, you see that hand in the back. Awesome, awesome. Church, can we thank God for what God is doing in the lives of so many people today? If, if you raised your hand, take your hand, put it in your heart. I'd like you to repeat this prayer. It's just a simple prayer. We're just inviting the living God to take over our lives. Church also wants you to pray with me as well. Dear Father, I come to you. I put my trust in Jesus. I thank you that Jesus died for me, that he is Lord and Savior. Make a fresh start in me. I repent of my sin and I turn towards you. Bring healing in my life in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.